Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning on a Wednesday. I am so excited to have you guys here with me today. Uh, A little bit different today. Traditionally, I start off with a great deal with Palmetto State Armory. However, um, as of recording, the Memorial Day sale is still live on the site. And if I uh, put that on the air, by the time you guys listen to this episode, those deals will be over. So I am going to just give you guys my general link to the daily deals Um, which will reset uh, in the morning. So the link will be good to see what the daily deals are. I don't know. It's a grab bag. Just go get one. It'll be great. (laughs) Uh, For so long, the notion that police are there to protect and serve the public has permeated American culture. It's what spawns the back the blue campaigns that so many people support. However, In a 1989 U.S. Supreme Court decision in DeShaney versus Winnebago County Department of Social Services, the justices ruled that police have no specific obligation to protect, which is obvious in situations like the Parkland and Uvalde shootings, where the officers were more vested in their own survival than that of the children in harm's way. As a result, you have seen a significant decline in support for police. If they're just there to protect themselves and the government interest and have no obligation to protect the community, why should we back the blue? Most recently, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit upheld a lower court ruling that police could not be held liable for failing to protect students in the 2018 shooting that claimed 17 lives at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, which is what makes this next story so interesting. In a prosecution believed to be a national first, a former Florida sheriff's deputy is about to be tried on charges he failed to confront the gunman who murdered 14 students and three staff members at a Parkland High School five years ago. Jury selection begins Wednesday in the trial of former Broward County Sheriff Deputy Scott Peterson, who remained outside a three-story classroom building at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School during Nicholas Cruz's six-minute attack on February 14th of 2018. Opening statements are scheduled for early June, and the trial could last two months. Peterson, who is 60 years old, is charged with seven counts of felony child neglect for four students killed and three wounded on the 1200 building's third floor. Peterson arrived at the building with his gun drawn 73 seconds before Cruz reached that floor. But instead of entering, he backed away as gunfire sounded. He has said he didn't know where the shots were coming from. Peterson is also charged with three counts of misdemeanor culpable negligence for the adults shot on the third floor, including a teacher and an adult student who died. He also faces a perjury charge for allegedly lying to investigators. He could get nearly a century in prison if convicted 
on the child neglect counts and lose his $104,000 annual pension. Prosecutors did not charge Peterson in connection with the 11 killed and 13 wounded on the first floor before he arrived at the building. No one was shot on the second floor. According to the National Association of School Resource Officers, which represents campus police, Peterson is the first U.S. law enforcement officer tried for allegedly failing to act during a school shooting. Texas authorities are investigating the officers who didn't confront the Uvalde gunman who was killed, who killed 19 elementary students and two teachers last year, but none have been charged. Peterson has insisted that he would have confronted Cruz, but thought the shots came from a sniper, perhaps firing from nearby trees. A deputy for 32 years, <laughs> he had been at the Stoneman Douglas for nine years after 19 years at other schools. He said after hearing last week that he, after a hearing last week, he is eager for the trial to start. I want the truth to come out. And if it's going to be through a trial, so be it, Peterson said. Not only the people in Florida, the country, most importantly, the families, they need to know the truth about what happened because unfortunately, it has never been told. Peterson retired shortly after the shooting and then was fired retroactively. Robert Jarvis, a Nova Southeastern University law professor, said there is no question Peterson deserved firing, but prosecuting him seems like such an overreach. Peterson is an easy punching bag, but many, many people failed on February 14th, he said. Peterson is being made into a scapegoat. To gain a conviction, prosecutors must convince jurors that Peterson knew Cruz was firing inside the building and that his actions and inaction exposed the victims to harm. Security videos show that 30 seconds after, I'm sorry, 36 seconds after the attack began, Peterson exited his office about 100 yards from the 1200 building and jumped into a cart, I'm assuming that means a golf cart, with two unarmed civilian security guards, according to a state report. They arrived at the building a minute later. Peterson got out of the cart near the east doorway to the first floor hallway. Cruz was at the hallway's opposite end, firing his AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. Peterson, who wasn't wearing a bullet-resistant vest, didn't open the door. Instead, he took cover 75 feet away in the alcove of a neighboring building, his gun still drawn. The shooting was so loud and so close, I thought it was probably outside, Peterson told investigators two days after the massacre. Boy, it's going to be an absolutely devastating moment for Peterson's defense if they bring in a firearms expert to testify. There is no possible way that you would think an AR-15 sounds even remotely close to the same as a sniper rifle, which maybe on the best day would fire at a rate of two rounds per minute. He said he heard two, three shots. The security guards told investigators they heard many more shots than three, 
and it was clear they came from the building. Peterson's attorney, Mark Eiglarsh, said he will call 22 witnesses who will testify they also thought the shots were coming from outside the building. Inside, Cruz climbed to the building's upper floors, firing approximately 70 more shots over nearly four minutes. So either it was so loud, you thought it was so close and outside, but you only heard two to three shots and thought it was a sniper rifle, or it was so quiet that 70 shots rang out and you didn't hear any of them but two or three. Outside, Peterson radioed arriving deputies to stay clear of the building. He said he didn't notice when bullets smashed into a second floor window about 70 feet from where he stood. Peterson didn't leave his spot for 48 minutes. As 45 minutes after the shooting ended, 40 minutes after off-campus officers had stormed inside, finding carnage on the first and third floors, Cruz had already fled. For Peterson to be convicted of child neglect, prosecutors must first show he was legally a caregiver to the juvenile students. Florida law defines a caregiver as a parent, adult household member, or other person responsible for a child's welfare. Iglarsh has argued that there is an exemption for police officers that covers his client. Circuit Judge Martin Fain ruled that this is for the jury to decide, noting that Florida courts have found babysitters, landlords, and even kidnappers to be caregivers. If jurors find Peterson was a caregiver, then they must determine whether he made a reasonable effort to protect the children or failed to provide the care necessary to maintain their health. Quote, I predict that at least one juror will decide that while Peterson was the wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time, holding him criminally accountable is simply too much, Jarvis said. That would result in a hung jury. Miami criminal defense attorney David Weinstein, who is a former prosecutor, believes Peterson will likely testify, something that most defendants avoid. Jurors will want to know why Peterson thought his actions were reasonable or prudent. If convicted, this would set a precedent moving forward that will result in a fascinating round of cases, especially coming out of Uvalde. I'll definitely be following this one. Guys, this next story comes with a trigger warning, as it contains sensitive information about domestic extremism, which is the greatest threat to our democracy. Authorities in Alabama are investigating how white supremacist messages appeared on a digital road sign along a highway with busy Memorial Day traffic. I know what you're thinking. Abhorrent language like the N-word, derogatory language about his Hispanics, but no, it's so much worse than that. Fast forward here now if you're sensitive to harmful language. Motorists on Interstate 65 near Clanton called state troopers at lunchtime on Monday to report the words, Patriot Front, 
and reclaim America. (gasps) They were flashing on an electronic sign interspersed with messages warning of an upcoming roadwork zone. I know, I know. Such dangerous words. I'm so sorry to have to poison your ears with this. I promise I will try really hard not to say them again. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Patriot Front is a violent white nationalist hate group that propounds the racist great replacement theory of white Americans and Europeans being supplanted by immigrants. They have been so violent, there have never been witnesses left over to account for the heinous crimes of khakis and polos hiding their agent credentials. John McWilliams, the regional public information officer for the Alabama Department of Transport, said the issue was limited to a single contractor's mobile sign in Chilton County that appeared to have been hacked. A citizen alerted a nearby state trooper about the message who then contacted us. Alldot personnel immediately responded and turned the message board off. No other message boards on I-65 were affected. He said an investigation, though, is underway into how the incident happened. I, for one, am so thankful that resources and time are being allocated to discover the criminal who perpetrated this on thousands of citizens driving down the road. Hopefully, they will be offering counseling for those who are feeling unsafe with their feelings about this horrible crime. In case this is your first time listening to me, this entire segment for the article is sarcasm, and these people are absolutely ridiculous, and the story of the boy who cried wolf is going to become reality for them. They're going to genuinely need help, They're going to need someone to care, and they'll have cried wolf so many times that I'm just going to sit back and watch that fucker eat them all. Following Target's announcement last week that it removed products and relocated pride displays to the back of certain stores in the South, activists in the LGBTQ plus community are calling for new campaigns to convince corporate leaders not to cave. anti-LGBTQ plus groups. Quote, we need a strategy on how to deal with corporations that are experiencing enormous pressure to throw LGBTQ people under the bus. Uh, That was a direct quote by Scott Wiener out of San Francisco. Uh, We need to send a clear message to corporate America that if you're our ally, if you're truly our ally, you need to be our ally, not just when it's easy, but also when it's hard, he said. Ooh, is the minority finally realizing that they are, in fact, a minority? Will this bring any level of awareness that the rest of the country is not California and they've pushed too far? Nearly 500 anti-L, well, they're called anti-LGBTQ plus bills, um, have been introduced in state legislatures around the country. At least 18 states have enacted laws restricting or banning gender-affirming care for transgender minors. The hostile environment has prompted some groups to hire security consultants to advise them on activities planned for Pride Month, which begins on Thursday. 
We are forced to think differently about how we handle security at our events and whether or not we can post our staff's names and emails on our website, said Jansen Wu, Executive Director of GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders, a nonprofit legal rights organization based in Boston. Deborah Porta, who is an Executive Director of Pride Northwest in Portland, Oregon, said there have been discussions about a possible boycott, a letter-writing campaign, and other actions directed at Target, but plans for an organized protest have not yet materialized. Now's not the time to back down, said Brian Bond, executive director of PFLAG, an organization founded in 1973 to advocate for LGBTQ plus people and their families. I think both business and us as citizens need to look within ourselves into new strategies. The old models aren't working. Still, some see the hostility toward Target and other retailers as just the latest obstacle in a decades-long struggle for equality. To me, this is a sign we're winning, said Derek Mize, a gay attorney who lives in an Atlanta suburb with his husband and two children. I think that these people moaning about our visibility are the last breaths of a dying prejudice, he said. Society is changing. And most people are not concerned about Target selling an LGBTQ shirt. Nah, bro. We're concerned about Target contracting with a Satanist to sell pins that say things like, Time's up for transphobes. Sorry you're cis. Heteronormativity is a plague. Satan respects pronouns with a Baphomet head. And one that says, Homophobe headrest, but it's a guillotine. Look. None of the people mentioned in this article will ever listen to my morning show. But I'm going to say this loud and clear for the people in the back who are living in some sort of delusional world of cognitive dissonance. No one, literally no one, cares who who you love, who you screw, whether or not you wear a dress, or take a shit in a box of cat litter. The moment that you cross one of two lines Acceptance begins to disappear. The first is when you attempt to force us to accept your delusion and live in it ourselves. If you were born a male, but you want to identify as a female, that doesn't make you a female. But I will be respectful of your decision to live your life the way you want, so long as you don't expect me to say that you're a female, because you aren't, and no amount of surgeries or medications, or makeup can make you one, regardless of what Big Pharma and the child psychologist getting kickbacks tells you. This brings me to the second way to lose acceptance and tolerance. It's when you try to fuck with our kids. They are not your kids. You do not get to influence them. You do not get to warp their sense of reality because your sense of reality is warped. You do not get to be an adult and use our children as makeshift playdates on the playground with a game of make-believe. You don't get to make them feel bad for who they are, not as a grown adult and certainly not as a corporation. Both of those lines have been crossed. And the sad thing is, you're proving all the religious zealots who tried to prevent gays and lesbians from getting married correct. They said it was a slippery slope, and now the only people you're hurting 
are the gays and lesbians that fought so hard to pave the way for equality. You stand on their backs and ask for more than anyone is willing to give you. So no, you're not winning, and those backs can only hold out for so long. The Missouri man, accused of ramming White House security barriers in an attempt to kill the president and seize power, wrote a coup speech which ended with Sig Heil, a misspelled version of the Nazi term. Okay, I apologize. It said Sieg Heil, which is a misspelled version of the Nazi term Sieg Heil, or Hail Victory. It feels really dirty just even saying that. <laughs> a podcast, um, Sai Varshith Kandula, who is 19 years old, was arrested after emerging from a rented U-Haul truck without a weapon, waving a Nazi flag following the crash last Monday. Inside the truck, police recovered Kandula's green book, which included writings about, quote, harming family members and other individuals, and his speech for when he had claimed power which was released by the government Tuesday. It stated in part, My fellow citizens of the United States, this takeover of this nation by our movement will not only extend within our nation, but to the rest of the world, as you will see pretty soon. He then wrote that the country will no longer be a democracy, adding, There shall be consequences if civil unrest happens. To make it clear, any opposition will be met with a death penalty. We will rebuild this world and put a new system in place once the objective has been achieved. Candula from suburban Chesterfield, Missouri, appears to have acted alone. He flew cross-country on May 22nd, rented a U-Haul truck, and drove straight to the White House. A Secret Service officer who interviewed him said that Candula told him he'd planned his mission over the course of six months, and would kill the president if that's what I have to do to achieve his goal. Kandula allegedly also praised Nazis for their great history and their authoritarian nature, eugenics, and their one-world order. According to an arrest warrant, when asked if he looks up to any leaders, the document states Kandula answered Hitler because he was a strong leader. An initial slew of charges have been reduced to a single count of depredation of property of the United States in excess of $1,000. He will also undergo a mental health evaluation. No one was injured in the crash. No explosives were found inside the vehicle. Surveillance images provided by prosecutors show the U-Haul nearly striking multiple bystanders as it hopped the curb. A shaggy-haired Candula can then be seen exiting the vehicle wearing a blue shirt and shorts, then standing at the rear of the truck, holding the Nazi flag in his right hand. Who had this on their bingo card? I, re- I, I want to meet you. I want to know who you are. AI will take over the world, they said. It has passed the bar exam, they said. Welp, Peter Laduca said, hold his beer. Roberto Mata's lawsuit against Avianca Airlines was not so different from many other personal injury suits filed in New York federal court. Mata and his attorney, Peter Laduca, alleged that Avianca caused Mata personal injuries when he was struck by a metal serving cart on board a 2019 flight bound for New York. 
Avianca moved to dismiss the case. Mata's lawyers predictably opposed the motion and cited a variety of legal decisions, as is typical in courtroom spats. Then everything fell apart. Avianca's attorneys told the court that it couldn't find numerous legal cases that Laduca had cited in his response. Federal Judge Kevin Castle demanded that Laduca provide copies of nine judicial decisions that were apparently used. In response, Laduca filed the full text of eight cases in federal court. But the problem only deepened from there. Castle said in a filing, because the texts were fictitious, citing what appeared to be bogus judicial I can't talk bogus judicial decisions with bogus quotes and bogus internal citations. The culprit, it would ultimately emerge, was ChatGPT. OpenAI's popular chatbot had quote hallucinated which is a term for when AI systems simply invent false information. In other words, it's learning to lie, you guys, and spat out cases and arguments that were entirely fiction. It appeared that Laduca and another attorney, Stephen Schwartz, had used ChatGPT to generate the motions and the subsequent legal text. Schwartz, an associate at the law firm of Levidow, Levidow, and Oberman, told the court he had been the one tooling around on ChatGPT and that Laduca had no role in performing the research in question, nor any knowledge of how said research was conducted. Opposing counsel and the judge had first realized that the cases didn't exist, providing the involved attorneys an opportunity to admit to the error. Laduca and his firm, though, seemed to double down on the use of ChatGPT, using it not just for the initially problematic filing, but to also generate false legal decisions when asked to provide them. Now, Laduca and Schwartz may be facing judicial sanction, which would eventually lead to disbarment. There are days when I think to myself, why do we even have politicians? And then there are days like today where I read an article like this and I'm just, just amazed. After almost 376 years, the bad spell that befell the innocent people accused of being witches during the U.S.'s colonial period is over. Connecticut last week passed a resolution exonerating people tried and executed for witchcraft nearly four centuries after their so-called crimes. State Senator Saud Anwar, who introduced the resolution, said the gesture was righting a wrong that has stood in Connecticut's history for centuries. We cannot go back in time and prevent the banishment tarnishing, or execution of the innocent women and men who were accused of witchcraft, but we can acknowledge the wrong hoods they faced and the pain they felt, pain still recognized by their survivors today, Anwar said. The resolution resulted from the Connecticut Witch Trial Exoneration Project, whose participants became disenchanted by what had been state lawmakers' failure to apologize for the fate suffered by many convicted of witchcraft. Passed by a vote 
of 33 to 1, the resolution made clear that the state legislature recognized the residents of Colonial Connecticut were falsely accused. (laughs) I want to know who the one holdout was. I want to know who sat there and said, nope, they were witches. I just know they were witches. The witch trials of colonial America in the 16th and 17th centuries included, including the most famous proceedings in Salem, Massachusetts, saw hundreds of people accused of practicing witchcraft and associating with the devil. I feel like those exist today. Casting them out of their societies and tarnishing their family names, many were ultimately tortured and hanged to death. In Europe, An estimated 50,000 people were executed in witch hunts between the 15th and 18th centuries. At least 34 people were indicted for practicing witchcraft in the Connecticut witch trials. 11 people were hanged. Thank goodness we have politicians who are worried about witches from 376 years ago. I don't know what we would do without these people. That is your everything yesterday, this morning on a Wednesday. Thank you guys for tuning in. Check out that link for the new deals that dropped today. I appreciate you guys. If you enjoyed the episode, please like, share, subscribe, tell your friends. Don't tell your family because it'll be a really shitty Thanksgiving for you. You guys take care. Have a wonderful day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.